This week's Access All Areas will deal with topics of ableism, as well as touching briefly on issues of homophobia, transphobia, and briefly a slight reference to eugenics. We will also be discussing World Mental Health Day, and if any of these topics are difficult or upsetting for you, feel free to take a break or maybe skip this podcast. Hello and welcome to Access All Areas with Dermot and Felicity. I'm My Way Access, Dermot Afflin, and with me always is the chronically fabulous Felicity McKee. This week we're going to be exploring lots of different topics that basically tackle the issue of ableism head on. So it's quite a wide umbrella of issues that we're going to be covering. But every issue that we deal with will have some element of ableism within it. And I think it's really important to discuss this because ableism does permeate absolutely everything. And sometimes it's happening right before people's eyes and they don't they don't even notice it. That sounds good then. So basically I suppose what we can do today is maybe some discussion of what's been going on in the news this week. So Felicity, I believe we wanted maybe to have a wee conversation about face masks, uh, some sort of things you picked up uh, in the news this week. Yeah, so there's been a lot of discussion about face masks again recently. Again, there's been a lot of issues around people who are mask exempt being denied entry to places or facing uh, discrimination or prejudice around this. And so what basically inspired me to talk about this this week was there is a local business in Belfast who has put up a sign basically excluding disabled people. And they say that if you cannot wear a mask due to a medical condition, ask yourself if you should be going to a bar or restaurant during a pandemic. If you are making up a medical condition to avoid wearing a mask, please don't. None of us have the patience to deal with your crap. This is really just this is really problematic on so many levels because well, one, this, this sort of kind of reminds me of the old days you know when disabled people you know are decided to mind and it seems like yeah. they want to put this segregate disabled people away from what i would call quote-unquote normal society but we are normal but anyway yes you were saying explicitly yeah so like um one we are allowed to basically go out and live our lives and have our lives just like non-disabled people do have and like the amount of ableism in some of the replies was absolutely disgusting so people uh were saying that the comments you know people don't like it when they see the truth you know that uh the people who aren't wearing a mask are covid idiots and the thing is a lot of the people who aren't wearing masks are medically exempt now you can be medically exempt if you have autism such as i do because it can be um very difficult uh, sensory wise. So I, I do manage, but some people can't at all. Some people find it very traumatic because they maybe have a history of PTSD and they can't stand the feeling of, of something covering their mouths or impacting their ability to breathe. Some people have really bad anxiety and so it can, um, it can really exacerbate that. There's a wide range of reasons why someone would be medically exempt. Exactly. Just... I mean, as, as you might, if you've probably seen on Tuesday night, uh, no, I didn't actually hear the myself, but I've seen the video that Stephen Nolan had put up on his show where he was wearing a mask um, at a, four, a forecourt. Somebody had come out of the shop and he chased him up the street, shouting at him, why didn't he wear his mask going into the shop, even though the, the individual had come out wearing a mask. So, like, I mean, some people might have a lapse of 
maybe lapse a second, we forget about it on, but then they put it on through the way. But what happened was, like Stephen Moore was shouting at the, and nowhere across that video was it mentioned that uh, that he questioned him, did he have a, an exemption? Stephen Moore yeah. volunteered at him. Now, obviously, people are saying, so, that he had said that he had, he had to ask everybody that came out of the job, did you have an exemption? But this was not this was not clear on the video. So people were taking away the narrative of if you see somebody not wearing a mask, chase after them, shout them, degrade them, treat them like dogs, and that's not on, like even even like I would even say like um, if somebody wasn't exempt, that's not the right way to do that either. You know, to publicly shame them and shout and shout them down. And the better way to do that. The fact was that he was fitting into the narrative that you know of ableism that he didn't take into consideration about you know what exemption could be in place. Yeah. Also, like the thing is, I would much rather give someone the benefit of the doubt that they are actually exempt than tackle them and and basically verbally berate them because there are many uh, disabled people who have a hidden disability who are very nervous about going out they are scared about going out and it's because other people um are maybe not adhering to guidelines not social distancing not taking it seriously and when when people who can wear a mask wear a mask they're doing it to protect others and when those people do it it does protect the people who are medically exempt but the thing is it's it's the law the new law which is the health protection coronavirus wearing of face coverings regulations northern ireland 2020 um and it was then amended by the Health Protection Coronavirus Wearing of Face Coverings Amendment. So lots of big fancy words here. But basically, it's the guidance on the specifics of the regulations. And you can find out more on the NI Direct website. But in short, it's a criminal offence for a person aged 13 or over without a reasonable excuse enter and remain in a shop or enclosed shopping centre or to use a bus, coach or train without wearing a face covering such as a mask that covers their nose and their mouth. And I know I've seen plenty of people not covering their nose. But the thing is, service providers that are covered by these regulations have a power to enforce them but they also have discretion and the thing is if they put a policy in place it has to allow for exceptions it has to allow that there are people who have a hidden disability who cannot wear the mask and these are considered a reasonable excuse and it's a legal defense their disability is a legal defense about whether or not they choose to wear a face covering and you know it is actually uh it is against the law because in addition to the regulations and in parallel with them, the Disability Discrimination Act of 1995 places a separate duty on service providers to make reasonable adjustments to their policies for disabled people who may need such changes for reasons related to their disabilities. And so that would be an exemption to a policy that says you have to wear masks in that building because they are disabled and they're medically exempt. And the thing is, there's an awful lot of unlawful discrimination happening. And what's really sad about this is the distrust of disabled people is not, it's not a new thing. This has existed um, throughout history. It's really, it's really problematic because even in the past, uh, the authenticity of people's signs and symptoms of disability have generally been questioned. So, for example, the Elizabethan Poor Law in 1601 gave the state a role in supporting the poor. But from the outset, there was a suspicion that some of the people were either exaggerating or faking their ailments and that there were undeserving recipients. And these people were held up in the press and vilified as uh, rufflers, palliards or um, clapper dodgeons. So these are Elizabethan terms. And like this reflects an awful lot of the news stories that we see today and you know you'll see discussion about benefit fraud when it's really really quite a small issue and the idea of someone being the deserving disabled claimant and again Uh, it's something in the 18th century as well there's just so much historical 
precedence of this. We were actually talking about the benefit fraud before the recording, and I have suggested that I think from my last reading that there may be one percent or two percent of people in the population that actually do the benefit fraud. But you were actually able to tell me that it's in fact quite low. It's actually below that even. So that's maybe something that people should take into consideration. And I honestly think this anecdotally, obviously, probably the same number of people who are causing the benefit fraud that are actually also then maybe causing the same sort of frustration when it comes to looking for exemptions for math who maybe mightn't necessarily be part of the exemption policy. So we're not talking huge figures here. We're not even talking about a high percentage. But again, it's, it's, these are the numbers that the media and people are focusing on and exaggerate just how commonplace it is within society. Yeah, and I think what people really should to take away is like when I'm using the historical examples because I am a historian, it's really sad to think that back in the 1600s, people were still being scrutinized as whether or not they were disabled or disabled in off. And that that is still happening today. It was happening in the Victorian era. So like in the 18th uh, century, there's descriptions of people whose disabilities are beyond doubt in the mind of those who are writing, but they're still considered cheats if they claim to have lost an arm as a result of a battle rather than as a result of, say, a brawl in the street or in a regular course of living. So basically, there's a moral hierarchy. So if you lose it in battle, that's that's okay. But if you lost it in an accident or something else, that's not okay. And this idea of um, moral hierarchies uh, and paying close attention to who should or shouldn't uh, be getting that benefit or whether or not someone should be, say, parking in that disabled bay. Are they disabled? Oh, well, they don't look disabled. There is no disabled look. I just think it's really sad that we haven't actually come as far as we maybe think we have as a society when we're still being so harsh and judgmental to disabled people. And the masks are, they're basically a symbol of that right now about the scrutiny that so many disabled people face. And, you know, I recently had to get uh, stickers to put onto my car at the back, sort of saying that I am a disabled driver, not every disability is visible and things like this. Because on the rare days I have a good day, I don't necessarily always um, use a walking stick. Although generally you won't see me without it very often. There is that fear of um, you know being confronted about parking. And I see it every time I go to the hospital and I park in a disabled parking bay because there will be people who make a judgment on my age. They don't see the rollator that is in the passenger seat. They see a young person parking in a disabled parking bay. And I can, I can see the looks that I'm getting and I can see the tuts that I'm getting, but they don't know. And then when I get out of the vehicle and they see a walking stick or they see me get a rollator, suddenly you get that sort of, oh, they look away because they're suddenly ashamed. But okay. it's really difficult. So that's one of the things I often say to people that I'm quite thankful. You know, they kind of probably laugh at me when I say that. But I'm quite thankful that my disability is visible in that respect because people don't make assumptions or well, they make assumptions but other types of assumptions based on my luck but um you don't they, they, they recognize that i am disabled so like i mean i can understand i will can't understand but i i can totally emphasize where you're coming from because you know you've been judged for your luck and i don't think i say i still be judged but only as more of a poor wee man or not even poor wee man poor wee boy but that's a whole other conversation as well but uh, no but I, I just so I'm, I'm quite thankful that I'm uh, my disability is visible because then I don't have all these added on judgments or luck that you unfortunately are getting felicity yeah I think it's it's a difficult area because like some people think that you're lucky if you have a hidden disability but I don't I don't think it's necessary we I don't think it's necessarily lucky because like we do live in an ableist society 
it's not an accessible society. And so it doesn't really matter if it's hidden or it's not hidden. You're still going to be facing social barriers and barriers where things aren't accessible. And I think sometimes when it's visible, it can seem like that would maybe make it more obvious for people to do stuff. So say if I was to be in my wheelchair, someone would be all like, oh, well, that person's a wheelchair user. We'll remember to have a ramp at the event. But I've gone to events and they know I'm coming and there's still no ramp. Sometimes visibility doesn't necessarily mean that you have a smoother ride, get access to places. I think the issue is generally just that we live in a really, really able society and that when people are thinking about uh, organizing events or anything, even the construction of buildings, they don't take into account disability and the fact that we as a community come in all different shapes and sizes or the fact that maybe their employees or their customers could temporarily acquire disability. So say if someone was out uh, doing a bit of uh, football with, you know, between say Armad Tyrone and someone goes over on their leg and they're suddenly on crutches for a few weeks. I do wonder, maybe maybe some of the uh, the football parks that they go to are they fully accessible? They may only realise when they need to, to have that access that it's not. Well, I think the result of that much in a way would be the, the fired one. Is that, oh, don't know. get me started. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, No, but I totally understand where you're coming from. But I, I have been working with the Ultra GA in the past, um, Tyrone GA, particularly Club Tyrone, because I was involved in the design process of the new Catherine Park, but ultimately didn't happen, but uh, that's a whole lot of different argument again. But uh, they did consult me on sort of some of the aspects that they needed to take to be included within the new stadium. So I like I obviously mentioned place things like changing places and stuff like that. But one of the main things that I had highlighted, I'm sure you're probably familiar with this yourself, when you do go to a sports stadium, the disabled people are shunned away in a corner, you know, sort of away from the action, away from the crowd. So part of the design process, which they thankfully included whenever it was the, the largest case, and I'm hoping now with the redesign, that it'll be part of this new design as well. So disabled people, there'll be a section for disabled people throughout the stadium, that you're part of the crowd, you're not away out on your own, away from the atmosphere. And again, we're sitting uh, the Gabaki Centre in Tyrone, which is for Tyrone, they, they, I was involved with helping design and making sure it was accessible for disabled people too. So that's one example from within the GA where they're reaching out and chatting to the disabled community. And I'm sure it's the same because I've been to uh, the uh, Ulster uh, the Ulster Rugby Stadium in Belfast and I just found it actually was probably one of the best stadiums I've been in regard for disabled access. So what about yourself, Felicity? So local to me, we have Liberty Stadium in Swansea and uh, I know that when I was visiting, they have made a real effort to be fully accessible. So they have over 60 accessible parking bays. They have disabled toilets basically on every level. They have um, lifts uh, basically in every section of the area they also have 226 wheelchair bays within the stadium and they have um they've got disabled toilets which have low and high level coat hooks and long mirrors they also have um different sort of like uh pull down systems so that you can uh pull down like a table to be at your level um and they do have a sensory room so sometimes people maybe struggle with the clouds crowds so they actually have a sensory room that people can go to now it is limited in size and obviously with um covid at the minutes there would be issues with that but like i have seen their sensory room and it it is amazing um but they also have a radar system 
the key system for all the disabled toilets and um, that ensures that people with the radar key can use the toilet. Granted, not every disabled person has a radar key, so those people would have to go and ask a member of staff, but they've basically tried to include disabled access at every single level and they have uh, basically they have consulted local disabled people about what they need and you know what they want they even have um, pass pass gates that are uh, easily accessible and operated there's uh, drop down counters on the kiosks as well for when you're buying your tickets I mean it's a very disability friendly stadium and it's really great to see and also the bit that I really like is the fact that it's not just like a handful of wheelchair bays they've got 226 that's pretty good eh? but funny you mentioned sensory rooms like I had a post-DLCG uh, sorry the GAA in Dublin you know we'd put my sensory room into Crow Park I have actually put some several time about that but I've never got any response back regarding that Crow Park is making a lot of advances in a lot of different areas you know and the environment and stuff like that there obviously with COVID I kind of had a put a pause on that there because there's bigger matters going on in the world but it is something that I'm going to be restarting again because it is important that sensory rooms are relevant in sports stadiums just like the one that's local to you because I do know of parents who have children sometimes that they, they need that wee space even if it's just for five minutes or half an hour to somewhere that the child can go and these adults but they just need to sort of find themselves again and sort of come up with more climate what's going on around them and sort of obviously my lingo's a bit wrong so please, please slap me in the rest of them saying the wrong words here but uh, just somewhere that they can go to sort of relax for 10 minutes or half an hour whatever length of time they need yeah so um basically if you go to a match there can be a lot of noise there can be a lot going on it can be very overwhelming on a sensory level uh, and so when people go to this space it's a very calming space and they can feel calm and still be able to watch and enjoy the match but not feel overwhelmed by the crowd or by the noise i think sensory rooms are something that there definitely needs to be more of i've seen them at a couple of train stations and they are absolutely amazing and the thing is they're not solely just for disabled people and i think people sometimes assume oh well you have to be autistic to get any good out of a sensory room like we're going to be touching on the fact that it's world mental health day when we're recording this sensory rooms can be really good for people with mental health conditions they can be really good just for anyone who's maybe a little stressed so say it's rush hour and you're stressed and you've got all of this work sometimes people just need that space to have like five seconds to kind of just go no, it's okay, I've got this. And the sensory rooms are accessible to everyone. Granted, they are advertised specifically for disabled people, but they're they're a mental health tool that are really, really good. I do think more people should include some sensory elements into their life. Uh, and I think after the podcast, when we put our little tweet thread, I will include some links to different things that people can do for themselves from home that will help with uh, just you know sensory things. So like you can make your own homemade Zen garden with salt. And it's just the idea of having something to kind of like focus on when you're feeling overwhelmed can just be really helpful. That definitely be something I've been because it's like a, I have sometimes my anxiety we get a, bit, a, a little bit uneasy at times. So having something that you see you're going to stick in the thread afterwards, you know, like a homemade tool, but that would be something I have a try night now this weekend and for a minute. And I, I, I can possibly report back next week because I know next week's going to be quite a busy week for me stress wise. So I'll be able to see if life hacks and tools that Felicity will provide for have been helpful, as I'm sure they will be. And I 
I will let everybody know how I get on as well. But I think we've covered enough there now regarding uh, face masks and we somehow got on to sports as well. <laughs> uh, well, it's a passion of yours and uh, it would be a passion of mine if I could find a sports team at university who would allow a disabled person to participate. That is my next challenge. It'll soon be a passion again. But if anybody was looking for the result of that game earlier on, it was Arma 112 Tyrone. 317 so it was quite a convincing one for us uh, you know what i'm not you know what i'm not even getting into it you and me with this arma and throne rivalry i love you but like arma is brilliant even if we're not always playing at our best now we're, we're going to go on to other matters that we spoke about last week uh, regarding ben lowey um as you probably noticed from our little for the day we included uh, after our discussion with Ben Lowry last week regarding the Sen Education funding and the Belfast newsletter, that no sooner had we uh, recorded the podcast that he uh, actually put out his statement. So we said we would touch on it today because uh, we didn't, wouldn't have the time to fill it on in last week. This went out at uh, Saturday at a quarter past one, and we had just finished recording at one o'clock. So that's just how, <laughs> how tight things were. Again, um, Felicity and I will sort of discuss some of the issues. Like, I'm going to just talk about uh, the morality of what Ben was talking talking about and Felicity is going to actually sort of dissect some of the figures that Ben had discussed. Now the main thing I took away from this is Ben, while he admitted that the word wording that he had used was slightly wrong, he didn't backtrack and basically in the overall narrative he was talking about. And what's more, even though he may have acknowledged that the wording was slightly off, he still did not apologize for what he said. More in the fact that he went on the offensive again, you know, accused uh, people of um, piling on him on Twitter and not listening to what he had to say. Now, um, he even at one stage tried to make it a political situation because he had contributed a lot of the pylon to uh, an FDLP councillor and to Sinn Féin uh, MPs. So basically what he was trying to do was uh, subtly, although not that subtly, is turn it into a green and orange issue, which I found quite offensive and I thought most people would laugh it off and see what he was doing. But fortunately I went and took a wee look at the Belfast newsletter's Facebook page and unfortunately it seemed to work in his favour because uh, his target audience, taking what he had said, totally ignored the issues regarding autism or sound education, turned it into a Sinn Féin FDLP National Republican agenda, which was very disappointing. And I think what's really interesting is he claimed that nobody was listening to him, but he clearly didn't actually listen to any of the disabled people or carers who responded to his initial tweet. And that's very evident. Exactly. Um, just, uh, like I say, like he mentioned the, the three politicians and the guy was very vocal, for the, you know, on Twitter and Facebook and even with my the podcast and, and uh, the article that I wrote regarding it. Not once did he mention that. There was other disabled people as well who had commented on it and asked for answers, but he never responded to a single one of us. As I say, and he was quite, he, he thought he was being subtle, but he really wasn't being subtle. He tried to make it a political issue to so deflect the argument away from him. And unfortunately, that's what happened. Yeah, and I think one of the things I took from it was um, he mentioned that one in eight people in Northern Ireland were on DLA, but there's actually one in five disabled people across the UK. So the actual amount of disabled people on benefits is less than the actual amount of disabled people. Technically, more people should really be on DLA or as we'd call it now, PIP. And it's a real scandal that they aren't. He referred to people who responded to him being stupid or hysterical, but he didn't actually address any of the issues of disabled people or carers who had tweeted him. And those are the people he was calling stupid and hysterical. And while it is good that he did suggest that he could have worded it better by calling the people who had responded stupid and hysterical, that's not really an apology. And also, 
like as you said, he quoted um, politicians and made it into a green and orange issue. He ignored all the disabled people. He made it political. And it, I mean, it was already a political issue, but he made it a politically divisive issue between green and orange politics. And he then called for a curb on the funding without actually explaining an alternative or considering the impact that having a curb on it would be. And if the system isn't working with the money it has, that's clearly an issue and it does need more and not to be curbed because, you know, this would have an even more devastating impact on disabled people in Northern Ireland who are already struggling with the funding that is currently in place. Well, again, I mean, like I'm still sort of feeling a week later regarding I'm trying to make it a political situation because particularly it would be green and orange because the one thing, like written the other, people actually went with that argument. But sound education, you know, and the funding, you know, it, disabled people, we're not, we're not all green, we're not all orange, and we're not all one or the other. We're purple. So it just shows you, I mean, like, so he totally dismissed on what he would call the super people was in his own community, totally disregarded that, pretty much said that anybody disabled is green. Yeah, and I thought what was interesting was that he was complaining about the spend being $1.3 billion, but, you know, we talk about the purple pound a lot, and the actual uh, money that the disabled people put into the economy is $249 billion. And so the actual spend for SEN education in comparison to that, it's about 3.237% of what we give back into the economy. And I think I think he also needs to kind of look at like the um, disability price tag report that came out from Scope, which showed that disabled people face an average of £583 extra a month, that disabled persons' extra costs are the equivalent to almost half of their income, this doesn't include housing costs, and that for one in five disabled people, the extra costs are more than £1,000 a month. And I think what's really important to take away from this is that on average, £100 for a non-disabled person is the equivalent to just £68 for a disabled person. So, you know, if we were to look at the £1.3 that's clearly not enough money, because that, if we were, like, I'm not going to do the maths on this exactly, but if a £100 pounds is 68 pounds to a disabled person clearly there needs to be more money well again but i like i what i think i'm now i'm going to challenge Brian right now right here is to talk to disabled people find out what is actually happening within the community and regarding ways and education from needs to fund that it needs and it shouldn't be couldn't be shouldn't be curved so Brian, please get out there and chat to not chat to politicians not chat to people um that maybe lead charity organizations but not disabled themselves but actually chat to disabled people you know i'd even say ben if you want to come on the show and chat to me and philosophy we will be more than discuss it with you so yeah. ben, this is a challenge to you now we want to see you chat to the disabled community we'll even come on to access all areas yeah and even like just to ask what we would like to see done or how we feel like the system could be improved but cutting the money is simply not the answer that's not how you're going to fix this and it's punitive and it just it doesn't solve anything there's better ways to go about this and that again it goes back to the the mantra that we always say nothing about us without us and we need to be included exactly and again it sort of fits into the whole narrative of what today's podcast is all about which is ableism and that article that tweet and the follow-up was just pure on doctorated ableism by man. And the thing is, a lot of people don't even realize that they're being ableist. I think that article in itself was ableist, but he himself may not feel like he's being ableist in his everyday life. It's probably very well-intentioned, but it doesn't come across as that. So like, he does need to maybe come in, have a conversation, because ableism is something that 
is kind of ingrained in our society. But once you're aware of it, you can change it, you can challenge it, and you can help be part of the change. So that's all we're asking. Yeah, so, so apparently we could come on to our show and have a conversation with us, and you could end up being the new man that can change ableism and be the change of good. Please do come on. We're gonna, we'll are gonna. we also send you tweets just in case you missed this podcast to have a wee listen and come on the show. So now we're just going to take a little break, and we're going to get into our main topic of today, which is... Sort of been well on through all the first part of the podcast anyway, which is ableism we face. So, um, welcome back. Uh, the main topic of today is ableism we face as disabled people. So, just uh, before we start talking a bit about what uh, ableism we face uh, in society, let's say for those maybe who are non disabled to our listeners, and I know we have a few who wouldn't be disabled. Uh, would you just like maybe give them a wee reader to just exactly what ableism is so they'll have a bit of an understanding when we go into discussions? Yeah, so ableism is a type of discrimination in which non disabled people are sometimes viewed as normal or superior to those who have a disability. Um, this results in prejudice towards disabled people. And it, it's a fairly modern concept. It began to sort of appear in the 60s and 70s. And some people say it occurred whenever, uh, as a concept, whenever disability activists placed disability in a political context. But as a historian, I would say that disability has always had a political context. So the discrimination against disabled people, uh, it's a worldwide issue and it can be reflected in individual societal and institutional attitudes and the norms and the arrangement of dynamics within certain environments. So um, interpretations of ableism are based on perspectives about what a normal ability is, and it often gives rise and informs different beliefs and the norms, impacts physical and social environments. So as a result, anyone with a physical, mental or uh, an emotional disability tend to be in the minority and then they are treated differently from their non-disabled peers. And so disabled people can experience labeling altered expectations and discrimination so for example discussions of uh, eugenics which is probably something that we're going to touch on because there has been a lot of discussion recently uh, with a Nobel Prize winner who is exploring uh, altering different genes which some people feel could lead to the eradication of certain disabled people so all of these factors can cause uh, disabled persons to uh, feel that they well I say feel like they're experiencing able ableism they are experiencing ableism there's no feeling about it but all of these lead to ableism and it can be one of the primary barriers to allowing disabled people to participate within society both at an individual societal and institutional level so that's kind of like a quick breakdown of ableism but at its core it's just basically prejudice and assumptions about disabled people if we're being super simplistic well i know you said that that basically it's a modern concept in a in a way but obviously if you look hard you can find it to deeper into history as well but it seemed to be like a disciplinary sort of race issue in the last maybe five or six years although I've been doing it for ten years ten years now when I use the word ableism people kind of jump up number one they don't know this word number two they've never heard this word and number three it, it can be quite degrading when they say this is what they would call a, a book word and the disabled people are just trying to want to cash in on what's going on around the world with other, other groups sort of fighting for equal rights yes other groups are fighting for equal rights as they should but that doesn't mean that we can't either and we should be fighting for equal rights we are equal people as well and it's not what you would call a woke word just a word to describe what people are doing to us yeah and you know ableism can be absolutely everywhere so for example when i was at a very well-known northern irish university uh one of my 
disability advisor said to me that um, I was too disabled to be there. I got quite annoyed by this and I did eventually go on to get a first, but it was without the support that I maybe should have been getting. And the support I got was through my school, not necessarily through some of the more official channels that I should have got because the assumption was that as a disabled person, I was too disabled and include the air quotes there around too, to be there. And, you know, this is a disability advisor who's saying it. So sometimes even the people who you think should know better are still engaging in ableism. You see, that to me, this is the fact that I'm going to I'm gonna make a wild assumption here. So if I'm, if I'm, if I'm wrong, please correct me. This disability advisor was in this well-known university. This person disabled or non-disabled? Non-disabled. You see, this is, I, this is a problem I have, that non-disabled people are brought on to represent disabled people. Which on paper might sound okay, but they don't understand the issues as a person who lives through the issues and therefore make these wild assumptions, which you got, because a non-disabled, a disabled person wouldn't turn to you for a single you're not disabled enough because that is a ridiculous thing to come out with oh well he said i was too disabled to be there so not it wasn't not disabled enough it was too disabled to be at university um which is ridiculous but that is equally stupid as well because there is no such thing as not disabled enough and being too disabled you are disabled that that's it, you know, there's no, as already you had mentioned earlier, I don't remember if it was in the podcast or our conversation before the podcast about there being a hierarchy. And no, that, that, that's not the case. That shouldn't be the case. And it's not something that I believe in, about having a hierarchy of disabilities. And this is what this person was doing to you, and that's just not on. But that, that's an example of ableism, and unfortunately, it has come from a disability advisor. Yeah. And again, because this person not, is non-disabled, they just don't understand the complexities of our life that we love. And it's not even complicated complexity just they don't understand it yeah and I think you know I see it all the time sometimes in like Facebook comments or YouTube comments and I I was recently um because I'm a big Star Trek fan and there was a person in the Star Trek fandom who was saying that in the future due to scientific advance they and apologies because this will deal with both ableism homophobia and transphobia but they suggested that there would be a cure for gay people trans and non-binary people and disabled people and when later questioned it turned out that they had an autistic son who they were and I quote training and they spoke about them as if they were a dog and it was just really upsetting because again it's a person who has a loved one who is disabled who has direct experience who knows some of you know the barriers that their son is facing and yet has all of this horrific internalized ableism and then at the end of it uh, they tried to add me on Facebook so that I could teach them even though I'd provided them all the links and like the thing is it's exhausting having to be you know provide free emotional labor to educate people who could very easily just google and be educated because disabled people all the time like you and me we talk about this all the time on twitter we talk about it on facebook it's easily accessible you can hear our experiences there are hashtags that deal with this it shouldn't be my personal job to try and make someone who is transphobic homophobic and ableist a better person nor is someone like that probably going actually listen because when provided with the information they didn't read it and they didn't understand that some of the methods that they were using to train and i hate that word their son are considered abusive by many autistic people such as myself i mean i wouldn't wear that i'm absolutely horrified the fact that 
this person as a son who, as you see, has been trained up. I mean, to me, that's just child abuse. There's no other word for it. Yeah, it's really sad when you see it. And, like, the thing is, I think we see it all the time with, uh, you know, the rise in hate crimes and, 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 and different issues like this. But I think as an autistic person, it's something that I see an awful lot of because a lot of people seem to think that there is a need to cure autistic people and we don't need cured. And then when you say what that, you know, we don't need a cure, they, they say something like, oh, well, you must be not very far onto the spectrum. And I'm not a fan of this either, because the thing is, when we talk about high and low functioning with autism, that actually goes back to eugenics, because the idea of being high functioning means you have more purpose for society. Society, that you are more so quote unquote normal or able to fit in but yeah. I prefer the term high masking because on my really bad days sometimes I'm not able to mask and you know manage to appear maybe more uh, neurotypical because I am neurodiverse and so masking is my preferred term because high functioning and low functioning stems back to eugenics and that's it's, it's as simple as that so I, that actually was the word I was looking for earlier when I was talking about sensory rooms and co-part was high and low masking so thanks for putting it back in my book Again. But regarding as you say, bullying, like um, this is an item I shared on my personal account on Facebook last night, which I believe you read to Felicity. Yeah. It was um from a post that I put up last year that I felt it was kind of worthy to share again regarding what's going on in the world at the moment. Well, I put up a video last year on my reaction regarding uh cyberbullying, you know, about um cyberbullying within the disabled community. I put this up on Facebook um, and I put up on YouTube as well. Now we I did get a response last year on my uh YouTube account would get some removed, but I did take a screen dump to try and show people just what disabled people have to go through on a, a daily basis. So the comment that I received was from a guy, and I'm not even going to hide his identity, even though that his um, username is a hidden identity. So uh, what he actually wrote was, after me talking about cyberbullying, make throwing the foreign babies off the cliff great again. So making things great again does sound rather familiar with what's going on in the world today. But rather than getting angry, I kind of wrote this response to him. I wrote, thank you for validating my message with your comments. You may be laughing to yourself this morning with your racist sharp foot, but I'm a real person behind this account and I have a disability. I'm strong enough to let not to let your comments bother me, but there are many more people who will find my site and take your word to heart. I have a lot of anxiety issues, but getting stronger. Others haven't looked for help. They will take your word to heart and feel more excluded and removed from society than they do now. They feel they will feel that you are the average voice of people and the people who don't want them in society. Society does want us to Society needs us, and we play an important part in the role. Throughout the world, we do. We intersect with people around us, the careers we have, and the influence we have on the world, and many other people. We contribute to the world. I wonder how much people contribute to the world that mock us. That was my response to him. And, you know, I, th- I think you were very, very eloquent and quite kind there. But, you know, I, I've received similar things in that I had um, comments on Instagram about how um, I should be dead already, that allowing me to have a hospital bed meant that a person with cancer was being denied a hospital bed, which it isn't. It isn't an either or situation that somehow my life was less valuable than someone who might be able to recover from from their illness. Um, But, you know, cancer people, people with cancer are are disabled as well. They have a long term chronic illness. And, you know, it's again, it goes back to the idea of a hierarchy. But people forget that they're they're talking to people on the other end, you know, of that keyboard and um wheelchair rapunzel who is someone that i follow has been dealing with a lot of comments 
of a similar oh, nature. Oh, um, yeah, I, I follow her as well. She's, she's a, an excellent advocate. And... and, you know, she's been having comments where people are like, oh, well, what's wrong with your spine? Why does your stomach do this? Why does... And, like, none of that is any of their business. People come in different size, shapes, you know, all sorts of things. Um, And I think people kind of feel like if you're maybe on social media or even if you're out in public, that for some reason when you're disabled, they have a right to ask you about your medical condition. So, like, I had someone on a bus reach over and tap me and pull my headphones out of my ears to ask me what was wrong with my leg. This is a stranger. I'm all for having an open conversation, you know, with people if they want to play an aid and educate themselves. But, you know, you have to be invited for that. You can't just invade somebody's personal space. You know, so if somebody did that to me, because people know me, like I'm happy to talk about my disability and what it means to me, but I don't want it whenever I'm sort of having a private moment or if I'm studying or even if I'm on a bus like you were listening to some music or a podcast. Hopefully it was actually hilarious, but, uh, you know, but they, they were invading your personal space and that's not all. But because you're disabled, they think that's okay, but it's not with, with other people. Like some people forget that. And again, like I'll bring it back to the comments as well, which you got about, you know, taking up a hospital bed. You know, that just seemed to be a lot of the comments that we're getting. It's not just hateful messages. Like, uh, like for example, the one I got was about throwing babies off, the foreign babies off a cliff and you're alluding that you should, you should die before cancer patients. Mm-hmm. And then, like I've had other comments in the past where do the world a favour and hang yourself on a tree there. Yeah. And it always, it seems to be just disabled people have to die. I mean, we even see it in movies. So we were talking, again, because we do a lot of discussion before we start the podcast, about You Before Me as a movie in which a person becomes disabled, they acquire a disability, and their first instinct is that they don't want to live anymore. And it's because of this tragedy model of disability, which assumes that we don't have lives that are worth living. And we see it reflected in the media all the time. And we also see it reflected in people's attitudes towards disability. And it then means that when people do acquire a disability, it's very difficult for them because there's all this ingrained ableism within society. And like you don't see movies where people acquire a disability and then they just keep living their life. In fact, maybe they live their best life. This just isn't seen. And yet it no. exists. No, they live a lesser life. And, but even though they're less, living a lesser life, uh, they're an absolute inspiration in the film. Uh, yeah, they're used as a tool for another character to be inspired or as a learning aid. And this is actually, you'll see it in a lot of books, but there's an actual academic term for it and it's narrative prosthesis. So it's the idea that the disabled character is kind of used as a crutch for the plot and that they are a prosthetic, they're a narrative prosthetic to the plot to help advance the plot. Um, So someone will go in and they'll be so inspired by this disabled person that they then go on to like find the cure for some illness or something like that. The person doesn't exist just as a person who happens to be disabled their disability is there as uh, an extension of the plot so again uh, Detective Pikachu is a really silly example of this but the man in Detective Pikachu builds an entire city because he is disabled he builds this entire city and then he becomes an evil villain because of his disability because apparently he can't get out and about even though he built a city and didn't decide to make it accessible so because he's disabled he's the villain and it's wrong why can't he just be you know the villain because he's the villain the exactly. plot specifically as, linked the disability to it. Same as really wild well, where um, the main villain was a uh, wheelchair user as well. But regarding the whole sort of inspiring porn nonsense, uh, you know, to inspire other people, I remember I used to watch Home and Away back in the 90s, you know, so I'm kind of giving my age away again in this podcast. But there was one story came up where this uh, blind person came into the story, school, into the school, but uh, her mum and her mum and father, her mother and father wouldn't let her interact with anybody in the school because they wouldn't understand what it's like 
for her, for her to be disabled. Mm-hmm. She just felt it was sort of inspiring her to be normal, being very normal people. Again, I'm doing air quotes here when I'm saying normal. So the whole, uh, this went on for a week. The pupils rallied around her, giving her all the support she needed, being, being her friend, and actually going to her parents and convincing them that uh, this person should be part of society, should be going, going with them when they're going surfing in Summer Bay, going to them to the cafe, and for participating in everything in school life as well as outside school life. And this went on for weeks, and I thought, great, this is positive, you know, finding a disabled character in Home and Away. So after two weeks, the parents said, yeah, they broke down and said, you're right, I was wrong. My daughter deserves to be friends. She deserves fully immersed in Summer Bay life and be out everywhere. And guess what, Felicity? That's the last we ever saw that character. When... This doesn't surprise me, unfortunately. Again, that's just normal, but the, uh, another thing I wanted to touch on as well with regarding the news is um, the political debate, the presidential political debate last week in America. Mm-hmm. We defended uh, Donald Trump in the past, the way people treated him because of his age, you know, but um, he shouldn't be mocked because he, he is disabled in some respects. Yeah. But again, it's, it's hard to defend him sometimes when he comes out with sort of ridiculous things. But I was watching the, uh, I'm sure you were watching too, Felicity, just like everybody else on the planet. The uh, presidential debate uh, was on Fox News there but last week with the president, um, Joe Biden. Now, I remember watching this thinking this was really peculiar. Even by Donald Trump's standards, that's saying something because he was sort of, he kind of went off and it looked completely unscripted. It looked like he was sort of, went off on a tangent that nobody could rein him in and they was just doing things off the cuff and it looked totally messy and totally, a total mess. I'm sure everybody, that was the comment on the news and the whole world that Donald Trump and the, and the Joe Biden debate was an absolute disaster. And it was, but it's just something about that just didn't sit comfortably with me. So I did a little bit of research and I came across this article on Upworthy and I've mm-hmm. seen it replicated in other places, but again, it hasn't been put out publicly, like widely publicly. But regarding just what the had meaning regarding some of the actions that uh, Donald Trump was doing throughout the debate. And unfortunately, it does look like the whole thing was carefully choreographed, even though it looked like a complete and hot mess. The whole world would probably, would probably know by this date that Joe Biden uh, has a stutter. Now, he's obviously, as you would say, like a high... He's high masking, so he's able to sort of control control it under high pressure. But this article was put out by a post, as I say, on Upwards, and it was from a guy called Wes Huntington, who would have a stutter as well. And this is his exact words. I'll read out for you now. But long, so bear with me. Joe Biden is a stutter. Like many others, he has overcome the disability by understanding it and exercising extraordinary perseverance and discipline. If you know, if you know and love a stutter and you watched the presidential debate last night, within minutes it became obvious what was going on. On, abusive tone voice, rapid fire interruption, zigzagging topic change, personal milestones, humiliation, and the family pain of are all tripwires to scramble a stutter's ability to speak. There was nothing unplanned or spontaneous in the president's strategy. They did not they did, they did not prep to attack Joe. They prepped him to attack Joe's disability, hoping that it would trigger his stuttering that they might deceive an audience unfamiliar with disability and to think that the Joe was stupid, weak, uncertain, confused, or lost to dementia. So if you look back at sort of some of the media over the last couple of years, especially now since uh, Joe Biden has confirmed that he's going to run for president, he was seen to be weak and he seemed to be a whole lot of things sort of like weak and possibly has dementia and stuff like that there. But it obviously it does come down to the fact that it's a stutter and um, President Trump and his crew knew that everything was choreographed to try and trigger this as much as they could to the debate to emphasize the fact Joe Biden is a weak potential president and somebody who could possibly have 
answer. Now, this is not me telling you to vote for Donald Trump or telling you to vote for Joe Biden because it's not my place to tell you where to vote, but just to highlight just ableism within Donald Trump again. And I think the fact that they sort of were presenting um, a stutter as being weak is really problematic because it goes back to the idea of being disabled as being fragile, weak, less than, and that being non-disabled as the su- superior or the norm when it's not. And it's it's just, again, we're talking about ableism, but that is an example of everyday ableism because they wanted to bring forth um, uh, a stutter to present it in that way when it, you know, it's none of the things that they're trying to present it as. It should be, like, it's just it's completely crass and it's really, it's upsetting because, I mean, we all know that Donald Trump is a history of mocking disabled people and trying to separate us from society. And we, and we we did defend Donald Trump and the same thing was happening to us, to him as well. So we, we're not going to be saying that we're going to be piling on everything against Donald Trump. The man has a record for it and it can't be can't be ignored and it can't be excused. Now, like, I mean, as I said earlier, like, I'm, I'm not a, I wouldn't exactly call myself a Biden fan either. Donald Trump and Biden, you know, that's the choice you have to make. Yeah, and um, it's just, it, it is sad to be seeing disability used in this way. And if we do look back at, at Trump when he depicted a disabled reporter and mocked him, it does seem to be that there is an awful lot of ableism occurring within the US presidential election, both the one in 2016 and the one currently. It's just sad to see. But again, like, until this is sort of, you know, we, we kind of have to be a bit more outspoken about this. Like, one of the things for last year, you know, you had planned to do last year, but unfortunately, time conspired against us, as well as sort of real life functions with Disability Pride Month, which is uh, November, isn't it? Uh, it's July, but then there's Disability History Month, which is upcoming, and it is December. And I am already organizing stuff with the university for that month, so keep an eye out. Using these events is possible, it should be used to sort of highlight not just disabled people within history and society, but also used to call out ableism as well. And that's something that we all have a part to play in. It's, it's, you know, if you see ableism, the same as to say when you see racism and homophobia and transphobia in society, it's speak up and stop it. And the same has to be done with ableism. If you see somebody making jokes, you know, like when I look back in the 80s, I remember the whole Blue Peter quote, which would have been sparked back then. You know, that really set me back a lot back then because that, that's what I. I, that's how I identified when I seen that. And so we need we need to stamp out ableism as well as everything else in society because I do think that's the one thing people a lot of people don't seem to stand up against ableism as they would maybe other types of mockery against other minorities in society. Yeah, and I think people just don't really understand ableism. But then the thing is like it's with any other form of discrimination, a lot of people don't see it, they don't think it exists because they're not experiencing it, and yet it does. And so I think maybe if people could leave the podcast and just maybe reflect or think about types of ableism that they've maybe seen or maybe ableism that they've been unconsciously doing that they haven't even realized and then to try and take that and take an effort to to remove that ableism from their life and I'm not going to say that this is necessarily easy because like it is ingrained unfortunately into society and into institutions but taking the first step you know can sometimes be the hardest and it could have huge benefits and and you know it's, it's like a ripple effect one small drop into a pond has a massive ripple effect and you could be that ripple exactly i mean no, i can't speak for other people who are disabled but i i can be a wee bit forgiven when it comes to people that are maybe ableism but not aware of it so all you have to do well i've been a grass which is the point i can go uh, just a moment there yeah although i do understand some people are exhausted by ableism so sometimes people can be a bit a bit temperamental and like you have to understand that the ableism that they're responding to 
may have been like the 50th version of that ableism they have seen that day and they've just reached their limits. No, well, I can understand that too. And I, I totally respect where they're coming from. But my main angle of ableism is when it's intentionally used. Yeah. As we've seen in the presidential debate. But anyway, we're going to take a little short break now. Um, we're going to discuss some items when we come back that have been happening in the, new, in the news. And we'll also be having a, a little discussion regarding World Mental Health Day, which is actually today, the day of recording. So we will see you shortly after that little break. So. We definitely have a lengthy and very important discussion we had earlier uh, surrounding ableism and I think it's something that touches on everybody's heart to, who is disabled and indeed those who have family members or friends who are disabled as well. But now we're just going to move on to matters of what's been happening happening in our own lives this week. So Felicity, I believe you're now the champion of, of uh, well-being within your university. How would you like to share a little bit about Going on regarding that in the week this, this week? Yeah, so uh, Discovery Student Volunteering Service is a charity that is uh, associated with my university, and I am now the project coordinator for a Wellbeing Champions project that's running in the university. It's a student-led project that goes that aims to promote well-being, and uh, we will run online events such as the lounge in which students can come together and discuss uh, well-being topics or the way to well-being in a safe and secure environment. And obviously, given that it's lockdown and there's coronavirus, we've had to adapt. So we're hoping to add in possibly uh, movie events and gaming sessions all online to support people when they're feeling isolated or alone, uh, especially due to the lack of face-to-face contact. That's definitely something that's very important now uh, in, in the current climax and uh, climate, sorry. And uh, it's really important, uh, especially when you consider so many students won't be able to get home for Christmas to see their family or, or parents or yeah and so like I am one of those students who won't be getting home for Christmas at least at the minute there's no plans to and so that's another area that we're exploring maybe combining with another project run by Discovery which is Food Swansea and possibly providing Christmas dinners or something like that along with maybe a secret Santa option so basically anything to do with well-being is what we look at and I officially start from next week but I've been working uh, I say working well I've been volunteering with uh, Wellbeing Champions for about a year now and we've been running throughout lockdown quite successfully so uh, onwards and upwards for this coming academic year. Well, definitely sounds very worthwhile so it'll be great for the students now at the Swansea University. But I do believe though that following you mocking my lift issues last week karma has visited you. Unfortunately that is true Felicity you know you should be very careful what you see the people laughing at them in their own misfortune and I'm afraid I laughed at you far too much getting stuck on the left and having no access in or out which is very bad of me as a disabled person I know but I have a wicked sense of humor at the same time but unfortunately I woke up on Monday morning and my left was broken and I was stuck up upstairs all day so unfortunately I was unable to get downstairs so I was confined to my bedroom for the whole day where we got an emergency gate out to fix it so he came out on Monday evening so I was upstairs for I think until maybe 4 o'clock 5 o'clock in the evening he came out to fix it now he didn't know what the big problem was but he managed to get it going again and he would send somebody out to look into it further so I managed to get downstairs about 6 o'clock whenever the end of the day so I didn't get much value out of that but then the next day I got up in the morning again and the engineer had arrived so I was stuck up there for an entire day a second day so plus I do apologize for mocking you but uh, it's good to know that the gods in heaven are on your side and they decided to 
get revenge on me on your behalf. Oh, well, I am sorry for your misfortune, but I have to admit the karma element is a little funny. Uh, one of the things that we've touched on quite a bit during the podcast is World Mental Health Day. And I think it's one of the important things to possibly wrap up with. We are recording this on Saturday the 10th, which is World Mental Health Day. It's really important to talk about mental health issues and raise awareness and it can be a day that's very difficult for people with lived experience one in four people will have a mental health issue in their life and one in six are experiencing depression or anxiety in any given week and there's such a wide range of different mental health conditions Uh, and I myself uh, have experienced numerous ones of these and so after the podcast we are going to be linking different helplines and information in the thread that we attach to the tweets that we do with all the links of things that we've discussed. But I think what's really important is that, um, you know, you aren't alone. There are services out there. And yes, it's difficult at the minute. It's especially difficult given lockdown for people who are shielding. Uh, But it is, it is okay to talk. And, you know, the way I would present it is there is a lot of fear of stigma, prejudice and discrimination. And when I spoke up, I did lose friends, but the friends I kept have been absolutely amazing. And it was worth taking that first step to speak up. No doubt, I mean, as you say, like there is a, an unfair stigma that is attached to mental health, you know, and again, it kind of fits into the topic of today of ableism, that, you know, just because people can't see the mental health issues that somebody might be going through, they don't believe it exists, or they think that you're just doing it for attention or something like that. That's not the case, because, um, you see, one in four of us would have some sort of uh, mental health issue, you know, of different severity, like you've had issues yourself. And even myself, I had to go and get some therapy as well, because I would have had a lot of uh, anxiety issues in the past, which would have affected my work mood and uh, sort of my relationship with people as well in the past. So again, it's, it's not something I'm aiming about. Like at the time, I found it quite hard to speak up about it, but I'm starting to speak up publicly more about it now. In fact, I've actually did a, recorded a TV programme with the BBC before lockdown, you know, regarding mental health issues within the disabled community. So I'm not sure we're not there yet. But I think it's important that people, you know, you don't have to speak up publicly about it. You know, if that's something you feel uncomfortable about, but definitely speak up and talk to somebody. You know, it's not something that anybody should go low, go along alone with and do seek mental health, uh, seek uh, mental health help as I did for my uh, anxiety issues because I do believe at the end of the day that that probably possibly would have saved me because like I, I put it off for, you know people probably would be quite angry when I say this but I put, uh, put it off for two years because the little voice in my head was saying it's not real you know just pull your socks up get over it or, and even if I thought it was real they're saying well you're not as bad as two blogs down the road or Mary Jane and the other side and the other town but you know every sort of issue is just as important as the next issue and when you when you take that first step to seek help or to talk to somebody you realise that and most importantly when you do realise that is you also realise well you're not alone a lot of people are facing these issues a lot of people have you know whether depression or anxiety or all kinds of different situations so I know when I Spoke up and I seek the help. I found life got a lot, lot easier. Um, and reasonably quick time as well. So, and I don't get me wrong. There's still times where I, I need to go back and get a little top up. If they would say a little, a little bit of extra help when I'm going through difficult times. So getting, getting the help is great. But whether it's like a six week session or a ten week session, whatever it might be, that doesn't finish it. That doesn't quote unquote kill you. Fix you. Still need to go back every now and again. Whenever you feel life getting on top of you, so please do have that conversation. Whether it's just to get help or whether to publicly speak out and raise awareness, whatever it might be, but just know that you're not going to it alone and please speak to somebody. We'll just take a little wrap up of what we spoke about today. So we kind of covered issues again regarding uh, face 
Marks in the caption, uh, Bam Lowry's comments on Twitter and the Belfast newsletter regarding STEM education talked about the history of, of inequality of mistrust within disabled people. And then we also talked about ableism as well within the presidential election regarding uh, Joe Biden's stutter and other issues as well. So, plus the of all the things we spoke about today, which was quite a lengthy and uh, deep conversation, probably more than most we had in recent weeks, what would you? What would be the most important thing that you think people could take away with them today? So, like, I know it's sort of overused, but I do think, again, we do say nothing about us without us an awful lot. And I think that's the thread that ties everything together. But I also just think that when we're talking about people who are being mask exempt and also World Mental Health Day, that a little bit of kindness goes a long way and a little bit of acceptance can go a long way uh, to help people who do have hidden disabilities to feel more secure and comfortable with going out. So if you are a business that is currently putting up signs that are prejudiced against disabled people, maybe just take a second to reconsider and to think about, you know, the impact that's having not only on the disabled person who reads it, but also the impact that has on the non-disabled people who see it and then it allows them to further their ableism. Well, Felicity, I don't think I could have said it any better than you. I think that's everything now for this week. So, Felicity, as usual, it has been wonderful chatting with you and seeing you. And we will look forward to next week's podcast.